tonight I want you to turn to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, and I'll read six verses uh, for time's sake, but John chapter 1, I want to read the first five verses, and then in verse 14 I think is a summary of those first five verses. So far in this series, I've preached on the wow of Christmas. You remember what the wow of Christmas is, don't you? Behold, and the wonder of Christmas, then the worship of Christmas, and Brian preached a message on the what of Christmas. Tonight, I'm preaching on the word of Christmas. And that's what makes the difference. The word was made flesh. Without the word becoming flesh, there is no Christmas. So to me, this is the summary of all of it. But let's begin reading in in chapter one and verse one. In the beginning was the word. And let me pause right here to say, I'm not embarrassed to tell you, I'm of no other interpretation. I believe with all of my heart, this makes direct reference to Jesus Christ himself. So when we say the word, always think of Jesus tonight. Because I think this is what this verse and all these verses are pointing to, Christ. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Let me go back over that. The Word was what? With God. And the Word, what? Was God. With God, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth into darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And here is what Christmas is all about in verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you don't mind, uh, I, I, I want, before I get into just three simple points that I want to look at in this message, but I don't know, maybe you're different than me, but when I'm studying a book in the Bible, sometimes I want to look how God used different personalities of the writer that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen that passage, I want to see what makes their writing different from the other writings. See, there's four gospel writers. Now, there's not four gospels, one gospel with four writers. You hear me say that often, often. but you'll find in John, John wrote differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I mean, it's so different. Let me just give you a few things that I found. I personally feel that John was probably not the broadest penman of the gospel, but I will say I believe that he was definitely the deepest. And what is so strange about that, when you read the the gospel according to John, is you find there's a lot of things that that are just trivia questions that can be answered about the gospel of John. For example, I'm amazed at the things that's not in the gospel of John. There's nothing about the birth of Jesus. Nothing. There's no mention of the manger. There's no angels. There's no shepherds. No mention of Bethlehem by John. 
John doesn't talk about the baptism of Jesus. John doesn't talk about the temptation of Jesus. John doesn't talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know that John doesn't mention one of the 39 parables that Jesus spoke to them in? And the Bible said that anything that he spoke and taught them, he taught them by parables and spake by parables. John never mentioned one single parable. There's nothing about the genealogy. Matthew and Luke had the genealogy. There's no genealogy in John. You'll also find there's nothing about the boyhood of Christ, nothing about the maturing years of Christ, nothing about the transfiguration. There's nothing about the calling of his disciples in, the, in John. There's nothing about the ascension. There's no mention of the great commission, but there are some things that only appear in the gospel of John. In the gospel of John, it is the only place where Jesus is called the word. John is the one that tells us as well, he's the creator. And John's the only one that deals with Christ as a creator. The other writers of the gospel never mentioned him as the creator. But John, he focuses in on that. John is the only one that calls him the only begotten of the Father. He uses that term even in the most frequently quoted passage, John 3, 16. He reminds us of the fact that he's the only begotten of the Father. He's the only child that the Heavenly Father had because Jesus was conceived of a virgin by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. And he also says, John says, he is the revelation of the I Am. God is brought to a present tense through Jesus Christ in our life through the writing of John. Do you know that Bible scholars, if you study it, you'll find out that in the original text, John only used 600 different words to write this entire book. Now, they, they say that usually as you're maturing, you write or learn at a pace of about 100 words per year of school. So that meant John wrote on about a seventh or eighth grade level. His, his words were easily understood, yet he is one of the deepest writers that the word of God gives us concerning the gospel. It was easy to read, but it was deep when you read it. I like what one writer said. He said, the gospel of John is shallow enough for a child to wade in, but it's deep enough for an elephant to swim in. And that's basically what he's saying. In the first five verses, there's 65 words. But out of those 65 words, you could easily write five books with 65,000 words in them to encompass the theology that's just in the first five verses that I read to you tonight. And in that 14th verse, we find out it's the summary of those. John wasn't so much concerned about the where and the when of Christmas. John was more concerned about the who and the why of Christmas. John says it's hard to conceive, but he shows us God in the womb. Isn't it something to see holiness sleeping in the womb? Isn't it something to think that the creator, that's what John said, all things were made by him, Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. But now through John's writing, we see the creator being created. That's staggering. 
When you think about it in your mind, how John brought something that is so complicated to such an easy thought. Christmas is wrapped up in this one statement that he gives us when we say the word was made flesh. When Mary brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, the word became flesh. When the shepherds came and saw him and made haste to see him, the word was made flesh when they looked at the baby lying in a manger. So here John says there's some important things that we see about the word becoming flesh. The word, as John writes about it, is easily categorized into just three simple categories. Let's look at them. First of all, John talks about concerning Jesus, his pre-existence. He says he is eternally God. Well, where do you get that? The Bible says in the beginning was the word. Now let's get this right. When you look at it in the, in the text, the way that it's written, he didn't say that the word began when Jesus was born. In the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh. In other words, this is the same passage that your Bible starts with, in the beginning God. And what that is mentioning is not a start, it is talking about a state. There was never a time when God did not exist. God has no beginnings and God has no end. There was a time when you were not. But being created in the image of God now, there will never be a time when you won't be again. A million years from now, you will still be somewhere. The soul of a person never ceases to exist. Only two destinies of the soul. So when you were conceived and life came and the soul is there, a million years, a billion years, it never ceases to be. But with God, that's true also of eternity past. You can go back to the time when there was no sun in the sky, when there was no moon. You can go back to the time when there were no stars. You can go back to the time when the earth was filled with darkness and void and he was still God. His pre-existence that we see in this. It's not saying that he had a beginning. It's saying he was the beginning. Before there was ever a cosmos, there was a Christ. That's what he's trying to tell us. John says that before there was anything, Jesus was. And because he was, he created all things and all things consist by him. Jesus is the only person who was ever born that at his birth, he was older than his mother and as old as his father. Think about that. A baby that was born that was older than his mother? Yes, because he came from eternity past with neither beginning or neither end. And right there, we all ought to be shouting because of the fact that we know Jesus came from a place where there is no time. And he lives in a place where there is no time now. And when we die because he saved our soul, we get to go to that same place that he's prepared where there is no time. Do you, do you know what that means? We don't grow old. Our hair don't turn gray or fall out. Our teeth, they don't fall out. 
Our bodies don't get weak. Our bodies don't get sick. We don't age. We'll be age-proof through the endless ages. We'll live forevermore just as he lives forevermore. So you have to see him from eternity past to eternity in the future. And we can say just as Genesis was looking forward to him, now we look back to him. But he was, he is, and he will be forevermore. And that's the promise. The pre-existing Christ is now in our heart. And because he is all eternity Consumed in him, we too have eternal life. He is not only pre-existing, he is co-existing. Two phrases I called to your attention. He was with God and he was God. People have a hard time with this. They want to make Jesus less than God. But he didn't give up any of his power. Really, I think John, here's the depth of John. This is what went through my mind. He said he is the word. Now we know he's talking about the logos. We know he's talking about the word of God. He is the word made flesh. But what are words? What is a word? Have you ever stopped to think about it? Well, I jotted it down this way. A word is a visible expression of an invisible thought. Now, if you think that's not a good definition, as you get older, do you find yourself having a hard time finding the word to say what you mean? (laughs) I mean, it's here and you can't get the right word out. But if you don't get the right word out, you don't give the visible expression of the invisible thought. What he's saying is, is what was the thought of God being God became visible. The word that we did not know about, the word that we could not see, suddenly the word can be handled, can be touched, can be believed. He is the word of God. He is equal with God, not less God. He never has been less God. Becoming a baby in a manger didn't make him any less God than when he was on the throne in eternity past. And when he sets us king of kings in eternity future, he was God and he is God and he shares that reputation with God. Equal in power, equal in thought, equal in deed, equal in ability. He is God. If you're not careful, you'll find yourself separating the Trinity, making the Father more powerful than the babe in the manger and making the spirit more powerful than the father that's on the throne. Somebody said, now wait a minute, you believe there's three gods? No, I believe there's one God. Somebody told me one time, said, now wait a minute, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. How many of you believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost? We're on the same page. Fellow asked a question one time. He said, you believe three gods then? The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. And I said, well, how do you figure that? One plus one plus one equals three. And I said, no. He said, well, how do you explain it? I said, one times one times one is one. (laughs) That's how it works. 
It's not that you're adding one to the other. It's that you can't have one without the other. Oh, I feel preaching coming on. He is God. Can you imagine God becoming flesh? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is God in his power. He didn't sacrifice any of his power to become a babe in the manger. He didn't give up one ounce of his heavenly ability and heavenly power. Is that scripture? Of course it is. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He had all power. He wasn't diminished in any way. That's why that he can manifest his power to cause the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the dead to be raised. He has all power. He's God in his pardon. That's why he can say to a lame man, not only take up your bed and walk, but he can say your sins are forgiven thee. Only Jesus has the power to pardon. You can come and confess your sin to me all you want. I don't have the power to pardon you of those sins, but there's one by the name of Jesus that he has the power to pardon of sin. He is God in his perception. That's why he can say to the woman at the well, I know how many husbands you've had and I know what you're doing now. He can perceive all things. He wasn't limited in his perception because he is God. He was definitely God in his person. There was no sin in him. No vow was ever found for him to be guilty of. No guile was ever in his mouth. No wrong thought, no wrong deed, no wrong step, no wrong action. He was God in his person. So his preexistence his coexistence, he was with God and he was God. See, if he wouldn't have been with God, he couldn't have been God. He was with God and then he goes further to say he was God. Be careful how you treat Jesus. How you treat Jesus is how you're treating God because he's God. If you take his name in vain, you're taking God's name in vain. I'll move on right there. That doesn't go over well. For some reason, we think we can take his name in vain. He, he is in his preexistence, in his coexistence. And then the little phrase, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shined in darkness. The darkness comprehended it not. Not only is he preexistent and coexistent, but we also see his self-existence. In him is life. He cannot die. He cannot cease to be. Just like you, you think there's a time when you die, you cease to be. No, no, death is a doorway. You don't cease to be. The part of us that God put in us is the same life that Jesus is. His life is not dependent on pills and doctors and hospitals. His life is not dependent on money. His life is not dependent on staying young. His life was not, life is part of God. 
God wants you to have life. And really that's why Jesus came, because man without Christ has no life and has no light. But the light within us is life. We just want a ray of hope. I talked to a lady today, her husband is in intensive care and he's on his final day or two of being on the ventilator. They called the family in last night and uh, they have some relatives here in our church and I talked to her today and she said, preacher, just pray that God gives us a little ray of hope. See, it's dark. COVID has destroyed his lungs, her husband's lungs, and the doctors are not giving any hope, but she's saying, if we could just hear from the Lord, there is hope and there is light. Two things you'll find that Jesus did, what he came to do. Here's why he came. Here's why the word was made flesh, to bring life to the dead and to bring light to the dark. That's why he came. Life to the dead. Now the problem is, is people are dead and don't know it. And uh, I don't know, I've hesitated about saying this because we're in such a politically correct age. People get upset over everything, but some of us, we're not, uh, well, we like meat. We like to eat meat. And uh, I like chicken and steak and seafood. <laughs> I like meat. I don't care if it's trail bologna. I like meat. <laughs> and uh, you know, you can't get meat without, something's got to die. And it wouldn't have done any good for me to tell my mom and dad that I'm, I'm just a vegetarian. I'm not against vegetarian, but, uh, but someone said, well, it's not biblical to eat meat. Why did Jesus say roast the lamb and eat it? <laughs> I'm in the book, amen? <laughs> and, uh, but you, you had to, now this is, this is hard for kids to conceive in their mind or believe, but uh, chickens aren't born dead in the package in a cellophane wrapper like you buy them in a store. They actually walk. And my parents, they wouldn't have dreamed of a time where that you didn't kill your own chickens. Now my mom had a knack of wringing a chicken's neck. Does anybody know what that is? On the front, I got it. <laughs> she could wring a chicken's neck. I remember watching my mom, I mean, she just, and that was it, head one way and chicken hit the ground. When you wring a chicken's neck and the chicken hits the ground, what happens? <laughs> Flops. I'm not being gross, listen to what I'm saying. Flops. And you just let them flop till they quit moving. Then you go get them, you pluck the chicken. You butcher the chicken up, cook the chicken. Amen, amen. I'm getting hungry. I'm going to have to hurry. I remember one time watching my mom wring a chicken's neck. And when she would wring chicken's neck, it was several chickens. We raised the chickens and then she would wring their neck and that chicken was flopping. And I remember what I told her. Oh, mom, that chicken's dead and don't know it. 
didn't know that I was going to pastor and preach to thousands of people that are dead and don't know it sometimes. They're still in their sins and they think they're alive and they're going through emotions, but they never come to Christ and they've never gained life and they don't know what the forgiveness of sin is. I'm sorry if I get worked up, but I've got life in Christ. I once was dead, but now I've been made alive in Jesus Christ. Once dead, now alive. Once in darkness, but now in light. There's no power of darkness in the world that can consume the light of one candle. Light always has power over darkness. In this season, may we reflect on the light. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God. Jesus is great. And Jesus is grace. I close with this simple thought. It's not my thought. Many years ago, Max Lucado wrote a book, God Came Near. But I've I've read the book a number of times. If you never read the book, it is a great book. It's got some unusual thoughts in it. But he probably thought in an area that a lot of people don't really ponder much at Christmas. And one of the writings inside of that book is questions he would like to ask Mary. I mean, remember, this is the Word made flesh. And... Off of that, I've kind of compiled from his list and my list some different things, but the, the summary of all of it, and I'm not gonna give you all of them, but I want you to think about what would you ask Mary, if you could ask her anything about Jesus, what would you like to ask the woman that was a virgin, that conceived, and the word was made flesh? What would you ask her? Things like... Uh, what was it like when you watched him pray the first time? Things like, did you ever feel awkward teaching him about how he created the world? Things like when you looked in his eyes and watched him as he was looking at a lamb that was being slaughtered. Did you ever wonder what he thought? Did you ever see him with a distant look on his face, appearing as though that he was talking to somebody else and they weren't there? How did he act at funerals? What did he do? Did you ever one time let the thought occur to you that the, the very God to whom you were praying for and praying to, rather, was asleep under your very roof. He wasn't way off. He was right in her home. Did you ever try to count the stars with him, Mary? I'd say you couldn't succeed because he could not only count them, he knew their name. Did he ever wake up in the night afraid? 
Who was his best friend growing up? When someone would talk about Satan, how would he act? What would he say? Mary, did you ever one time accidentally call him father? What did he say to his cousin John when they would play together? Mary, did you ever think, as he sat at your table, that's God eating the food I cooked? The Word was made flesh. Why? I sum it all up with this. Because there'll never be a thing we face in this life that the Word has not already been there before we face it to give us comfort in what we're going through. Whether death or sorrow or blessings or joy, heartache or pain, whether it's a feeling of loneliness or forsakenness, the word that became flesh can speak to you and say, I know, I feel. The word, God's thoughts that were invisible have now been made visible to us. If you need a word from God, he has a word for you. His name is Jesus.